Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. The Product Startup Podcast, Episode 5. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, helping you turn ideas into successful products step-by-step with your host, Philip Valitza. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast. In the last episode, we heard from Brad Summy, the founder of Savage Jerky. He shared how he built Savage Jerky without any food industry experience. It's a great listen if you haven't heard it already. Brad talks about his success with three Kickstarters, and we get into product packing, among many other details. Today, I'm joined by Matt Hoffma and Eric Palumbo from Many Materials. They make miniature cinder blocks and pallets and sell them online. They started with 112th scale construction materials like cinder blocks made with real cement, bricks made with real terracotta, wooden pallets, and concrete mix. And now they've moved on to other miniature products. We'll talk about how Matt got the idea, prototyped, and started selling. Matt and Eric will get into prototyping quickly on a budget, manufacturing locally in the U.S., and marketing tips for small product-based businesses. So let's get started. Hi, guys. Thanks for uh, joining me on the show today. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. So can you introduce yourself to the audience real quick and tell them a little bit about what you do? Yeah. Uh, Eric Palumbo, one of the owners with uh, Mini Materials, handling mainly the operations, uh, fulfillment, and research and development for the products. And uh, I'm Matt Hoffman. I'm the, another owner of Mini Materials. Uh, I pretty much handle the creative side of it, uh, along with a lot of product development and the marketing. Great. Before you guys leave today, I'd like to have you talk a little bit about your partnership and how you formed that, because uh, so far you're the first guest that talked about being a partner with somebody else, and I know that's a thorny topic sometimes. You're basically in a relationship <laughs> with somebody, right? A business partner. Yeah, it is very much. Can you tell everybody how you got started? Uh, yeah, I started out, I started it by myself at first. I am a graphic designer, and I had been wanting to start a website to sell something for a long time because I knew it really didn't matter too much what I sold. I could market it and design it and probably be successful. And I saw these miniature center blocks out there and I was like, I, I saw them. I don't remember where I saw them. I saw them somewhere and I, and I love it. I was like, this is, I don't know why I like it, but I like it. So I went to buy them and the guy was sold out and the price was ridiculous, like $50 for a little 24 pack. So I was like, you know what? I can do this myself. And uh, so I learned how to 3D design I made a 3D print, I poured some molds, and then I put concrete in the molds and made the bricks. And from there, I just kept trying to make new things and make little pallets and miniature construction stuff. And it's really just taken off from there. So let's back up a little bit. You saw something that was already selling and you basically made your own prototype to see if you could do it yourself and what that would, I guess, what that would cost you. Did you have any reservations about anybody else wanting to buy that product or did you, or was that basically validation because you already saw it for sale so you knew that there was a market? Uh, it was a really small validation and honestly, I did take a risk because I didn't know if it would sell. I knew a few people would buy it and it, it justified my... It's such a big learning opportunity that I knew I could sell enough to make up the cost at least. And if I could learn how to do all this stuff for free and with a chance of making money, that it would be worth it at the end. And that's what actually happened. So it was worth it. <laughs> that's awesome. So how did you start selling the product then? I like Shopify a lot. So I set up Shopify um, and I pretty much 
base my pricing off of what the other guy was selling minus like $15 um, because I knew I could do it. And the cost is not, uh, at the time, was not enough to even worry about the price too much. So I set it up on Shopify, took the as much images as I could. And I, the main key was I documented the entire process of how I started, how I made the bricks. And my first day, I hit the little button on Shopify to publish your store. I posted to Reddit everything that I had done up until that point. And I believe in the first 12 hours, I got 33,000 page views from Reddit. And just that, from just posting. Wow, that's insane. And I mean, that that equaled, you know, several thousand in sales in my first week. Jeez. Yeah, so (laughs) it was quick. (laughs) So did you have any help at that point to help you with any of that stuff? The only help at that time was my wife who helped me pack orders. It was, we pretty much, you know, I work at nine to five, we, we work at nine to five. So come home at six o'clock and we'd pack orders. And the first week I was up till three in the morning, pretty much every morning. That's crazy. <laughs> so making bricks, which, you know, it was very time consuming making the bricks. So it, it was a lot of work in the first part. So yeah, you had a little sweatshop going in your garage, I guess. Oh uh, yeah. It was <laughs> actually we just barely made this podcast because I was just in the garage making more bricks and I had to get them done before the podcast. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, it's been busy. And that's one of the reasons that uh, I was like, I need a partner <laughs> because it was just way too much work for one person to be doing. So <laughs> how, how did you guys meet then? We've known each other since college. So about 10 years and uh, yeah. I've moved around. He stayed put, but uh, recently moved back down here. When he started, I was living in uh, D.C. area, and we're in Florida now. But um, uh, I saw it on the Instagram and Facebook, and was like, "What the heck is this?" And it's cool. It's definitely Matt. It's his personality, and, and ended up uh, moving down here. and And he asked me to to, to join in, and and it's definitely uh, been a been a roller coaster ever since. So let's talk about that for a little bit. You knew each other for ten years. Sometimes friends don't make the best of partners. How did you decide that it was actually good to go into business together? Did you do any type of legal paperwork up front to, to make sure that everyone's going to get a square deal out of it? Or We did sign some paperwork, you know, stating ownership percentages and all that and more duties. I knew it would work because one of our, my first real job, I guess, was working with him when he managed a sporting goods store. And I knew his side was the exact compliment to my side because I'm the creative side. I come up with crazy ideas and uh, I can manage the marketing and design and creation of things. Um, but I'm not a numbers guy. I hate numbers. <laughs> so he's really good at sales and numbers. And so we really, I really thought it would just be the perfect compliment to make a whole piece of an ownership, I guess. So far, it's worked. <laughs> well, that's you know, and that's good. I've I've heard that a lot. Is that the best way to find a partner is, is find someone that will do what you don't want to do or what you're not good at. Right. So that makes yeah. sense. You flew over to Florida, I guess, and then you started helping out. And how have you been able to grow the business since? My idea was, uh, you know, more product. I thought when I first jumped in, we were very limited to what our sales were, uh, our products were. And so the the growth potential was limited on a strictly e-commerce side. And so by having more options, even small things that were add-on level sales that we've done, it's definitely grown our revenue rapidly um, just for that. And even though our bread and butter is the cinder block and will always be that, 
it's given us the ability to add on sales and, and grow that revenue so that we can change scales with our cinder blocks, pay people to make the cinder blocks, and uh, kind of given us that breathing room that we're, we needed. And in the last couple of months, we've, we've definitely accelerated that. No, that's great. And I actually noticed that growth on your site. When I, so when I first started my site, I thought, man, you guys would be an awesome interview. And at the time, you maybe had a couple products. And I just went on there this morning and I mean, you have like a farmhouse table, (laughs) (laughs) like a mini farmhouse table, which is to me, it's totally random, but maybe you can share where that came from. I'm sure you've had a lot of opportunities to speak with your audience and talk about what, you know, what they want. Actually, that was exactly, that's one of the examples of as soon as Eric jumped on board, suddenly I had time to, to make content and to make products. And so we just sat around a table one night and we just had a few beers and we're like, why don't we just make some things? And so we just took all of our products out and started playing with them. And Farmhouse Table was one of those things that like they came out from that night. <laughs> That's really awesome. Was that like a concentrated effort to say, hey, you know what? Our typical demographic is uh, male, this age group, and maybe we're trying to target some other demographic. Or was this just, you know what? I think this is fun. Let's try it out. That is strictly fun. <laughs> it was it's something where I, we've seen it online. You know, people love wood, like woodworking with reclaimed wood. And we're like, you know what? Why don't we just make a little miniature version of this, you know, and see if it sells. And if it does, we'll do some more of it. And that's what happened. You know, that's fascinating. I bet there's like tons of content now that you can troll through there where you're like, oh, you know what? This is like ultra hipster. Let's make like a mini version of that. <laughs> <laughs> the things we, we really hope to do. We just came out with these little bison skulls that we gave us all. saw that. We're like, we need to, you know, get some deer skulls. Like we see a lot of that super modern, retro modern kind of thing where they have the deer skull that's all painted white in their living room. So, you know, we want to go that direction too. Yeah, I'm in Texas, and uh, if you go into people's offices, they'll have like straight like you know mounts in their office. Like it's the real deal. It's like Dallas, you know, (laughs) like the show. Um, so yeah, I bet there's a total like market on that where people want to play off of that and have like this, like, you know, miniature set of skulls behind them or something. Yeah. So, well now I lost track cause I'm like totally into skulls. <laughs> I have to edit this part out. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about your uh, design and prototyping process a little bit. You know, when you first started, you said that you learned how to do 3d modeling yourself. And then I guess at that time you had maybe a couple molds that you created to, to do prototyping. Has that changed at all? It's actually the exact same way we still do it. We're in the process of learning how we made a CNC aluminum, solid aluminum two-piece mold, but we we haven't gotten to the point of using it yet. Uh, we're still learning of how, you know, it's a lot more heavy duty and there's a lot more room for error. And if you do make an error, that piece of machinery costs way too much to place. So we still do it the same way. It's 3D print a prototype, pour a silicone mold over top of it, Use the mold to cast things out of concrete. I love that you said that because that's super approachable. I love DIY and love rolling up my sleeves and doing stuff. Obviously, I'm recording in my workshop right now. <laughs> and I've got a 3D printer as well. And I've actually found that the, sometimes the best way of prototyping is even not messing with a printer at first and just doing popsicle sticks or cardboard models or going to the dollar store and just ripping stuff apart and putting it back together. Yeah. So that's awesome to hear that you're still doing just grassroots stuff. Yeah. Are you able to turn around new product designs really quickly because you're basically doing it at home and you know the process really well? Yes. Yeah, actually, we, we're coming out with one six scale center block. So they're twice as big as our ones now. 
I was able to come home from work two or three days ago, make the 3D design in about an hour and get it to a 3D printer. And we use 3dhubs.com, which is a great 3D printing resource. I have a guy who I've been using and he lives really close to me and he does a great job. And I, sh I gave it to him that night at like eight o'clock at night and he started it that night. And it's such a big print though. It took three days. So we're expecting it tonight. <laughs> and that was Thursday when I sent it to him. <laughs> That's really awesome. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun, but I mean, we can knock stuff out really fast. So you, you make a new product. You can obviously make a, a small limited run yourself in the garage or I guess big if you stay up until 3 a.m. Yeah. What's the next step? Do you go to any of your existing customers and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or do you just put it up for sale? We just put them up for sale. Um, we've got enough of a following on Instagram. We'll get them out on our email newsletter to where when we send out a blast about this new product, we get a pretty good view right away if this will work or not. Um, for example, this 3D print was a bit much, but our typical 3D prints only run around $300 combined with a $40 worth of silicone and the concrete is near negligible at that point. We're not in it for more than $500 to get a product going. So if it's if we think it's even sort of worth it and we'll at least get our money back, it's usually worth a shot. Really happy that you mentioned that because on prior episodes, people have talked about using services or all these all-in-one companies that will do prototyping for you. And that's kind of new to me being an engineer. I do all my own prototyping, especially in the office. We've got our own equipment and usually it's just the, the guys in the back and you just figure something out. Yeah. And so it's good to hear that there's something that's so approachable. I mean, $500, like you said, it's an easy call to create a new product and expand on your existing line. We've had people, you know, reach out to us and say, Hey, can you scale them? So we know that the market's already there. You know, it's a matter of, we put it on the internet. Once we know it, it it's a go, it, it's going to sell. So we know already based on, you know, the, the amount of activity and inquiries that come from our market already made. So that's one of the things is we get a lot of people asking us to make things. So all of our products are aside from the table, the farmhouse table, but all of our concrete based products, we take all of these requests from people and we see the ones that are getting asked most and then we, we make them. So do you have any type of threshold that you're like, you know what, once we hit X number, all right, this is a go? Or are you just like, you know what, I'm tired of hearing about this. We just need to make it. <laughs> a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. Well, the one six skill specifically, we had a lot of people ask for that. But what made it really different is that there, we, we really want to get more marketing done as far as good photographs of our stuff in use. We find that to be the hardest part. So with this one, with the one six scale, the people who use them are a lot of superhero figures and stuff. And I guess any figures at all are all one six scale. So there is who has these ones, they take photos. There's a lot of people who do photography for figures. They're like, I need these to photograph with my figures. So we figured with doing this, we're going to get a lot of good stuff out of it. It's so a, it's a market, the product. It's a crazy niche market. I wouldn't have thought that there's a, a market in that, but it's totally logical. You go to certain companies where you've got a lot of 3D animation designers. These cubes are littered with these figurines and the figurines are themselves, you know, a couple hundred dollars and they're like collector's edition. Yeah, yep. You talked about pricing, you know, and it was definitely value price, not cost plus. It was, you know, you're going top down from the market. There's definitely a lot of room there for a product like yours. So that's, that's really cool. It's a good idea. That's smart. Yeah. So that's another thing too, is we have another big group of center block people is the 150th scale. And I guess there's a lot of construction dioramas out there that people do and a huge market. It's, I didn't know it existed either. <laughs> 
But these people, uh, they make little dioramas and have little diecast construction, which then themselves, little tractors that cost thousands of dollars sometimes. Wow. And everybody's asking for a little cinder box, but we can't at the moment make one fifty scale because they're too small and they will break. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Imagine at some point you're going to have to move to maybe a slightly different material, some type of a polymer or some, you know, put some fibers in there or something to give it some strength. Hmm. Yeah, we looked into like plastic and stuff like that. So there are a few options, but we it'll probably be one of our next products, our major three D print products. But but we got to really work hard on that one because <laughs> of the size. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of the size, I guess you had to basically teach yourself about molding in a way, or did you already know something about molding? Because there's some certain particulars about you know relief angles and making sure that the part line is where you want it and all sorts of technical stuff. Um, was that kind of a trial and error, or did you just go online and... Yeah, pretty much went online and learned how to do it. <laughs> That's about it. We keep it super simple. It's it's a one-piece silicone mold, and the top is open. That's, so yeah. we pour everything and then scrape the excess off. That's pretty much how it works. No, that's great. So talk about some of your other products really quick, the pallets and other wood-based products. You have like mm -hmm. little miniature circular saws or something that you uh, to prototype on? We wanted to make, come up with saws too as well, but right. the miniature pallets are actually a local woodworker we have. Uh, we made them ourselves for a while, but the fact the concept of making cinder blocks, making pallets, we'd be in the garage all day and wouldn't have time to run a business. <laughs> so we contract those out to a local woodworker who makes the pallets for us. We just give him the design and the size and everything. So, hey, cut these up and he work, he's got a big enough wood shop where he can cut these little slats out very quick for us. So we have them making our little two by fours, our little pallets, using real nails and everything. There's no glue, uh, wow. miniature nails. Uh, and we've got some even new pallet designs coming out because we've got our uh, 24 packs. They come on a little bit larger pallet right now. We're, we're coming out with new pallets that fit the 24 packs perfectly. So we can come out with some clear packaging so that we can get them into retail stores. Definitely want to talk about retail before we finish. I was just thinking that you guys need to come out with like a shipping container or something like that so that you can have the whole line. That's a good idea. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> the last guest that we've had has, has talked about going to China for manufacturing. You obviously have kept yours um, in the U.S. Can you kind of talk about your reasoning behind that? Right now, cost-wise, it, it doesn't make sense to, to go overseas. It's not necessary. We're, our margins are great. And... Secondly, we coincidentally just got an inquiry from a domestic company uh, that specializes in selling domestic products. And so, you know, I, there is still that market out there that truly likes to buy American-made products. And so for now, we have no desire to go over into China and, and or Vietnam or, or what have you. Matt's wife is actually Chinese and, and has lots of uh, hookups and, and family over there. So if the timing makes sense or if, uh, if our costs uh, are drastically influenced by going overseas, maybe we'll dabble. But for now, it's it's all American made and we're happy to, to proclaim that. Mm. No, I'm happy to hear you guys say that. At my work, we do a lot of our manufacturing and sourcing comes from the U.S. Actually, I would say most of it does. Uh, just because it's not practical between shipping and customs and all sorts of other things. Right. And I think people have this misconception that they have to go abroad in order to be competitive. And I think that is true for a lot of products, I think, in, and especially in, in products where you've got tons of competition. But in this yeah. case, as far as I know, you dominate the market. I don't, I don't know of anybody else that does what you do. <laughs> There's uh, two more guys that do it, I think. But okay. I think it's more of a side game for, for fun, not taking it as seriously as we do. 
Right. I guess another thing too about the manufacturing in China is plastic is the main anything plastic in China is you you get it for a great price, but for us wood you can't get anything but out of China made of wood and concrete I haven't found much that you can get made well from China for a low price. So our products really aren't too conducive to get made overseas either. That's that's a really great point because on the surface people would normally say, "Hey, look, it's a small product, it's relatively lightweight, it's durable to a degree. What's the hold up? Why not ship it abroad?" So I appreciate you guys explaining all that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you know. So now you started outsourcing manufacturing to a degree, and so you're spending most of your time more or less kind of running the business and trying to grow it. Can you talk a little bit about how did you get funded, and have you done any like Kickstarters or any type of crowdfunding or projects like that we have not done any kind of kickstarter any kind of crowdfunding it has literally been funded for well from my from the start by myself i funded the first 500 dollars, and honestly with the way sales have been we've pretty much made all the money back from the first month or two have not needed any funding since right. that point. that's so, amazing that's, that's a great right. feeling i bet <laughs> Absolutely. Less than a year in, we're easily monthly. Yeah. Congratulations, guys. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what your sales might be, or if you're at least able to have a full time income, the both of you from the from the business? Not yet. Uh, You know, we kind of have an idea of and a plan to get to that point. Probably Matt first. We'll we'll pull off from his nine to five just because of the sheer creativity and thought that Matt kind of produces more time would be more valuable for him to be fully vested into uh, many materials but we're not quite there yet although uh, last two days have been significant and if we remain that way it will be quicker than we probably thought but once we get into retail and we really truly believe we were walking through Hobby Lobby today and and, uh, we know we'll fit right in there absolutely and uh, you know Home Depot Small things, cash wrap style purchases where people just think they're cool and unique. I think we can get into a lot of big box retailers and really quickly, we're just not able to produce yet enough product to fulfill those orders. Once we have that down, then, you know, we'll both be able to pull off and and work many materials and kind of be on autopilot in that that sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that volume then? What volume would you have to be at in order to approach a major retail chain like that? Probably around 10,000 units uh, of our standard 24-pack to fulfill any style of big box retailer. We can get into a boutique or small store like that, but if we're going to get into a hobby store or a train store, dollhouse store, or what have you, we've got to be able to fill 10,000 orders rapidly, probably within 30 days and consistently. And we're not quite there yet. We're happy to uh, meet about a thousand right now. We're close, and um, we've made some adjustments on our material. And a guy that's doing a lot of our concrete work right now is helping innovate that process so we can build quicker and, and maybe hire on to put more hands into the coffer. No, that's interesting. So you talked about material. It just made me think of some of the other concretes that I've seen that are blended with styrofoams or injected or aerated. And so they're a slightly lighter build, but you don't use a whole lot of strength for it. And so you're able to save some costs on the material without necessarily sacrificing quality. Anyway, tangent. Um <laughs> Well, actually, though, for us, we like the weight. We like have being a heavy product is good. Okay. I mean, you know, heaviness indicates quality to most people. Fair enough. But 
for us, it's uh, dry time. That is the most important part. <laughs> we need something that can dry in 20 minutes, 15 minutes maybe too. And that's what really what we focus on as far as getting the material, the right material and the right mix. Oh, that totally makes sense because otherwise you're limited on the number of molds you, you can create and other, and you're investing tons of money into molds that are just you know, waiting for things to dry. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Have you looked at approaching those single stores, those mom and pop boutique stores as your first step to going yeah. to retail and maybe just being in one store or are you just looking to just hit it really hard, go to Home Depot or nothing? <laughs> yeah. The strategy is to go big or go home. I think... Our e-commerce site alone is is solid, and so if, if we don't do so great in a retailer or, or we fall off and can't meet their demands, you know, then we're comfortable with e-commerce instead of a boutique. But that's kind of our philosophy right now. It all really goes along with how quick we can produce. Until we get that down pat, we're, we're not committed to go into retail until we know we can meet those demands. And that must be pretty difficult to find manufacturers that specialize in doing something like this. It's not like you can go on MFG.com and say, I want to bid on a couple tiny pallets. Um, <laughs> As, as I can with a lot of the products that I make, it's really easy to go and get quotes from 15 manufacturers. How have you been able to manage that? Or now that you know the type of contractors or suppliers that you're using, are you reaching out to those types of people that are maybe a little bit larger, or those types of companies that handle the same type of deal? Right now, the way we're doing it, we kind of got it down to a science. And I, th I think the way we're doing it is a really efficient and will work really well. It's just about having more people doing it. We contract out someone right now, one of my friends, he works in his garage and nice. makes the bulls. And for the pay that we give him for the pieces, it's really good for his amount of time that he's working. And it's good for us as far as margin. So our goal right now will be to find more people who want to make some extra cash from home. This is kind of thing where it'd be great for a stay-at-home mom who wants to make some side cash or she wants to make bricks for us. So we're going to start advertising those kind of job openings soon and get our guy to come with us and teach everyone. You know, it's pretty simple, but teach them how to make it so we can have different different people out there making bricks for us. More people doing it, the more product we can get and better everything will be. <laughs> I see an awesome Facebook advertisement in the making. Stay-at-home mom, want to make bricks? Yeah. <laughs> So that's interesting that you're actually going a model that I wouldn't have thought of. You're basically hitting up individual contractors one at a time and amassing your own kind of little army of people that are working in their own spaces. And so you have basically minimal investment in terms of space. So you're not hiring employees and you're not having to manage employees and all the tax implications and insurance and everything like that. But then on the flip side, you're also not working with larger companies that maybe would erode some of your margin. Yeah, exactly. Kind of weird situation that it works out really well for both sides. <laughs> That's very cool. That's interesting. Are you worried at all about someone selling black market bricks? Yeah, we thought about that, but it's if someone wants to do it, we'll catch on eventually, but they're not going to market it as well as we do. So good luck. <laughs> That's an awesome attitude. And I guess on top of that, do you have them sign anything like an NDA or anything like that? Or is it uh, not yet? Handshake deals? Yeah, we will. We'll look into that, but right now we don't. <laughs> we will. <laughs> well, if you think about it, in order to scale, you you have to really ship a lot of units. You guys were saying that you're shipping, you know, a thousand a month. That's a ton of work, especially if you're packing it yourself. 
Um, actually, are you using any type of fulfillment service or are you just doing it yourselves? Wow. That's where I spend my evenings uh, fulfilling wrapping boxes and, and shipping them out. So it's uh, it's a process, but, um, you know, it sometimes like it gets annoying. But then you think about it every time you drop one off at the post office, that means you made money. So right. it's, it's worth it in the long run. Well, and I was going to ask you guys if you use any type of fulfillment software, uh, especially since you're home based like ShipStation or Stamps.com or some of these others that do integrate with your e-commerce solutions, because they do give discounts for a lot of the delivery uh, providers like DHL and UPS and whatever. So you can save maybe 15% off that. Plus, it might make your process smoother. I didn't know if you'd looked at any of those or decided that you're not at that stage yet. Well, we use Shippo right, right. now. So the Shopify app that goes with it, but okay. that's about as far as we've gotten so far. Yeah. I think Shippo has some of those discounts integrated, right? So you're not paying retail for your shipping. Correct. No. Right. And explain how Shopify works a little bit. So someone places an order at your website, how much of it is automated before it hits the post office and how much do you physically have to do? Well, first of all, we get a, an alert on our cell phone. It's a cash register sound. So we both get very excited. And it's kind of like a Pavlov's dogs kind of thing. Every time we hear it, we're just, it's like heroin or something. Like every time we hear that sound, I need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Did you set that up yourself or is that just something that's integrated in the app? They just integrated that into the app like with an update two or three months ago. That's awesome. Uh, and I can't tell you, like, just the, the little thing of changing a notification sound just changes everything. <laughs> so someone places an order, and then from there, you're basically, you go into your your warehouse, your garage, and you find the product that's already been packed, I imagine. It's already in, in some sort of the packaging, and then you put it into a box, right? Correct. Yeah, it, it's basically as simple as that. We get notified that we get an order. We live in two separate places, so I have the majority of the product. Center blocks are basically made here in, in Orlando and then brought down to me, which is about 30 minutes away, and uh, or shipped down to me. And then all the rest of the product's there, and we put it in a box, and we kind of have a, a method so that they all look the same, and uh, they go out you know, the next day or uh, roughly about two days. And I've heard that you have to set expectations a bit because now with Amazon Prime, everyone's been conditioned to getting stuff immediately. Basically, you've done whatever you can to get everything ready to go. You're just putting it in a box and then dropping it off. I'm sure at some point you're going to have UPS just stopping by at the house every morning. I've talked to a couple of entrepreneurs that just have it set up to where they're picking up 10 packages every morning. That's next. Normally, you know, we're talking about 10 orders a week and, you know, you go to the post office once or twice. It's not a big deal. But if we stay with this 20 orders a day type thing, then, you know, it's going to be a, a significant uh, change. So we'll need somebody to come to us rather than us go to them. So Yeah, absolutely. So actually talk about what happened the last few days. So you've had an uptick in sales. Well, it was last Wednesday, I believe. The awesomer.com picked us up on their front page, which was the second time that's happened. And that provides a gigantic boost in web page viewership. And uh, so we got a bunch of sales from that. From that point on, it's like a cascading effect. Typically, other websites see that they posted it. So they, they post it. So we start getting hits from all over the internet. Other major websites start posting. You start seeing it on Tumblr, a lot of Facebook links. So immediately after that, we got a ton of different European pages that link to our product, which is kind of tough because... Our shipping prices international aren't too great right now because of our size. So we got a lot of people adding the carts and abandoning because the shipping was $18. Oh, 
So that's kind of tough. We were looking into a European supplier. Hopefully soon that'll take care of that. Went that way with a lot of uh, European viewership. And then yesterday at around one o'clock, suddenly I get a, we get to start four or five sales instantly. And somebody messaged me on Instagram to many materials and said, Hey, I know I follow you guys. I love your stuff. You just got featured on Uncrate, nice. but they provided the long rate with the wrong link to your website. <laughs> and I just freaked out. And so I came in and I got on the computer. I emailed them. I went through their contact form. I tweeted at them from two different Twitter accounts. I, uh, let's see, I Facebooked them and everything. I was like, please fix this link, fix this link. So in the meantime, we were still getting sale after sale. Wow. As this, so people were looking at it, Googling our name, going to our website. It's buying stuff. So we're like, you know, can't imagine if what happens if this actually links. It wasn't, what was it, like 6 o'clock yeah, maybe? Or around 5 or 6, yeah. they finally fixed the link. So 4 or 5 hours later, they fixed that link and everything blew up out of that. We hit a, our first $1,000 day yesterday. Congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> so we were kind of at the bar last night doing a little celebrating. <laughs> and uh, it was about 11 o'clock, we hit that $1,000 mark. And we are just... Yes. That's amazing. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So we did that and then woke up this morning with almost a thousand dollars before we got out of bed. So <laughs> that was great. What I found really cool about this whole story is that you didn't necessarily um, hit up any specific channels and try to promote in advance. It was the other way. The audience pulled it through or someone, one of the editors maybe noticed that it was a cool product and that kind of fed everything. Normally... Uh, you hear about you know marketing te techniques online where you're having to go on social media, see who the influencers are in your niche, target those influencers, and then work your way up the chain until you get to, to the bigger and bigger influencers, and then get you know guest posts on on these product blogs, and that's when you hit it. And I guess instead you just you kind of flipped it around and said, you know what, we're going to focus on delivering an amazing product, and naturally that's just going to create this buzz and energy. Is that? Do I have that right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's unique. It, it, it looks cool. Um, it's different. Like, like we said, there aren't a lot of people doing it. There's nobody doing it the way we're doing it. And so it, it sells itself. And so we don't really have to go out and beg people to showcase us. These sites are picking them up and it's easy to sell. In fact, Uncrate, once again, without us being told, sent out an email blast to their entire you know email newsletter list and one of uh, Matt's friends forwarded it to him and showed him so we had no clue that this was going wow. on lit up through that uh, with page views and, and orders and it's just consistent so it's awesome so we're hoping it's going to keep happening so hopefully uh, like maybe tomorrow another major site will pick us up and uh, just cascade from there and by that point uh, Hobby Lobby is going to call you right <laughs> Yeah, we have a, actually, that's one other great thing is a lot of uh, suppliers have been contacting us, other e-commerce sites wanting to carry our products. So that's another great effect of all this besides the sales. So in, in theory, once you get your manufacturing down, you could start shipping pallets of pallets to, to, uh, to some of these uh, fulfillment centers. Yeah. And that's another thing too. And I want to talk about with the product marketing itself is there's a good side of it is that things like this happen, but there's a bad side in that. You know, I would love to do display ads and do Google AdWords, but I don't know what to target. <laughs> I've, I've tried targeting all kinds of things through Google ads. Nothing I've found works. So it's not as simple as just throwing money at some advertisements and getting sales. Uh, it's pretty much we have to make cool things. 
and that's the only way it's going to work. So that's that's interesting. Have you thought about doing maybe a survey of your existing uh, purchasers or customers, uh, sending out, hey, can you help us out? We're just trying to get a feeling of what our demographics are and to ask maybe three, well, maybe three open-ended questions, you know, like what are you into? And, and then maybe that would help you target certain niches. We kind of know our market and unfortunately not to alienate it at all. Yeah. We are trying to broaden our customer sure. base. You know, it's figure borders, our main market. And um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the size of the center block. Once we change that a little bit or, or have variety, uh, our market will open up inevitably, but we know our market, but it's a, the demographic of a fingerboarder is a young male, you know, that probably doesn't have a lot of disposable income other than their allowance that mom and dad give them. So, you know, and they're not necessarily on Google using those trendy words very often. They're buying because they're friends or their Instagram posts or what have you. So it, that SEO will come into play for our target market as we open up our product line a little bit to meet those demands. Yeah, it makes sense. So basically, you're just going to create specific products for target audiences um, and let yeah. that drive everything. There you go. Yeah, there's some very specific, like, as far as like trains go, model trains, there's like four or five different specific scales right. they use, uh, you know, so we'll be coming out with different stuff, sizes for that as well. And so each one will specifically target certain markets. Funny that you say that I had some model trains growing up and I know how much money uh, friends and family spent on all that stuff. And uh, it's pretty insane. <laughs> and, you know, I guess most of the age group is pretty high. So, uh, and probably people who do this for a hobby after they get off their job that they hate. <laughs> so they probably would be willing to spend a lot of money on that. <laughs> right. No, that totally makes sense. I know um, they only make trains, or at least I've heard that the train graphics represent whatever is current. And so whenever a company goes out of business or, uh, you know, like a Santa Fe type line or whatever goes out of business, they don't make um, those types of trains anymore. And now they become higher in value. And so I wonder if you could tap into that somehow with uh, stencils or graphics or anything they could put on top of the cinder blocks after they're done with it to kind of go in with the, uh, the existing train set. You know, everyone's got a theme where it's set in a certain time period and whatever. It'd, it'd be interesting. There's a huge market there. That's, I have to do a bunch more research and see what we'd have to do. You've mentioned Instagram a few times. Um, so I'll ask a two-part question. What do you think is the best marketing tool for for a small business of your size? A lot of people, whenever they start on products, they feel like they have to do AdWords or CPC or Facebook advertising. You had a lot of success with Instagram. Can you talk about that? And then also what's given you maybe the greatest ROI? Instagram is definitely the best. Uh, Facebook, I can see how it used to be. Facebook has been terrible for us. Same here. You have to pay a lot of money. The only people who are successful that I found on Facebook are people who literally work on Facebook all day, every day. And they do a lot of, I guess, slightly shady things. I was in contact with some people who wanted to sell our stuff. And it's very, I don't know, it's very predatory almost. Preying on an older people with with weird pages and you know it, it works you know i if i could make the money that they were making i would do it but it, i didn't i didn't care for it too much um but using instagram everything's so much more organic you don't have to pay even in a normal post you don't have to pay to get people to look at it like everything you post everyone sees so everyone who follows you so instagram is perfect and it was very hard to track stuff from instagram 
but just the replies I've gotten from people who direct messages, hey, I just bought something, you know, or hey, you know, I'm about to buy this, can I get a discount code? You know, a lot of it I can track that way. And just by, I, I actually run an Instagram bot that will go and follow and like other people's posts. And uh, that is one of the things that's really boosted our page because I used to do it by hand. So I don't consider it cheating so much on that end. I used to do it by hand and go and just like a bunch of people's stuff related to our product. And this just takes it out of my hands and does it itself. So that just gets more engagement with the page. And then every time we post something, it's getting more and more follows. And a lot of people find out about our products through our page. So right. once they get there and click on the website in our bio, then they start looking around. And uh, you know, we also provide a little flyer with all of our packages to say, hey, Posts using hashtag mini materials on Instagram, you know, we'll send you a discount code. So people do that. That gives us good images to to look at and to use in our marketing. And we can ask if we can repost it. And then they get a discount code to buy more stuff. So it works out for everybody. So how do you give them that discount? Is there like a private message feature? Yeah, message on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, we uh, send them. Uh, we usually... I don't know. Once a month, we go through everyone who posted, direct message them with the code. I haven't used Instagram myself. And so I guess for the other people that haven't used it as well, the one of the bigger challenges that I see with Instagram is not being able to click a link. Everything is image-based. Is that right? Yeah. The only link that you can click is in your bio, on your profile page. So it kind of keeps everything a little more neutral. So, you know, I'm not, people can't spam your page with links when you have a lot of followers, can't just link individual posts to things, but People will go to your page and they will see your website at the top every time. So it's not as bad as it sounds. So if you were just starting out and you had a $500, $1,000 budget for marketing, where would you put your marketing? Based on everything I learned with many materials, which is very niche, I don't think this applies to a lot of people. I would probably run out of ways to spend that $500 <laughs> because aside from running a bot, which is only $9 a month, I posting to Reddit has been the second, the best or second best marketing tool. And that is just posting. And that's not like spamming things. That's posting good content on how you do the stuff. Just posting a how to on how I started the site on Shopify. You know, that gets a lot of engagement with people and just reaches a hell of a lot more people than any other way I could. If I could set down $500 and to market something, I would love to figure out how to do that because I can't. <laughs> I'm happy to hear you say that because I've definitely blown through probably, you know, $500 marketing on my own site and struggled, definitely put a lot of research into it. But I feel like it's actually easy to spend that much amount of money because you can throw it in all sorts of directions. And the ROI on it, I've experienced the same issues as you had with Facebook and with AdWords. So no, that's good that you guys have really good return with Instagram. And I've heard that a lot about product-based businesses i surprised that you haven't had to do scantily clad models with a little miniature cinder block or something because I feel like a lot of the Instagram stuff I see is a uh, lifestyle. Well, we did have Justin Bieber. <laughs> a little doll. A, a little mannequin. <laughs> That's so awesome. We have, we have actually, we're, we've thought about that. There are, it's tough because you want to, you want to brand yourself and keep everything consistent. So we want our page to look, our Instagram page to kind of have the same look every time. So we... We need to make a decision, really. It's like, do we want to be hilarious and post women with it? Or do I could Photoshop little center blocks into celebrities' hands and post, you know, photos. But part of me, you know, wanting to market it is one side. Part of me being a designer and wanting to keep a consistent message is the other side. So it gets tough. Well, I appreciate you sharing your struggles. And actually, that's one thing that I wanted to end on. I'd appreciate if each of you would kind of give 
your opinion on what you find the hardest part of the job and then also maybe a tip for someone that's already started their business or they're looking to start? Probably time. You can create lots of things in your life, but you can't create time. So if we had more time to do other things and really put it into the business, it would be probably bigger than what it is today. But that's probably the biggest hardship. Both of us, we talk about it every day, basically, is that we don't have enough time to, to really do all the things that we want to do with many materials. Mm-hmm. As far as what has helped for us is the communication. When Matt brought me on, I could tell that he kind of was in a lull. He, he, he didn't know if he wanted to get much bigger because it was a lot of work on his part. And, uh, you know, when I came in, now we're both very, very eager. So having a partner, I think, uh, has worked uh, for both of us. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, I started listening to the startup podcast, which I, it was is so interesting to me. But he talked about getting a partner. And it's not so much to just have somebody to share the workload. It's having somebody that can, you know, feel the exact same way you feel, that you can actually bounce ideas off of. And it's hard to bounce ideas off other people um, who are not in your situation because anything they say, it's like, well, you're not living what I'm living through right now. So you, I can't really trust anything you say, but we can both trust everything we, each other, we tell each other because we are living through doing this right now. So that, I'd say that's probably my, the best part is having a partner now uh, to do that with. And then as far as some of the struggles, I would say dealing with all the number stuff. I hate numbers. <laughs> uh, I just got done doing all of my tax stuff. And that's what I would recommend recommend for anybody starting a business. Please keep track of every single thing you do from the very beginning because I did not do that. And I just spent 14 hours um, last Saturday straight going through all of my credit cards, all of PayPal, uh, calculating all the numbers of costs of everything. And it was like the worst day of my life. So. <laughs> <laughs> Please keep track of it with you from the very beginning. <laughs> yes, yeah, so do you use a service for that or anything? No, not yet, but I am going to now because it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Good tips. Well, so is there anything else that you guys wanted to share? Check us out on Instagram if you want to see some cool photos. And I guess another thing I want to share is we are looking for more suppliers, especially overseas. There's a lot of people in Europe and Australia that want our product. And it, I understand, you know, you're not willing to pay $18 to ship a $20 item. So um, we could get some bulk orders over to a supplier. I would, we would love to do that. And then, you know, check out our page, minimaterials.com. Awesome. We'll definitely have all these links on the show notes. And so do you, Ed, do you mind if people send you messages or anything like that, if they've got questions? I love it. Yep. Yep. Well, Thanks again, Matt, Eric. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your insight and for sharing how you got mini materials going. I thought it was super informative and I love the product. So I'm, I'm happy to finally have you guys on the show. Thank you. I wish you guys all the best and hopefully you can come on in future episodes and maybe you can give a little bit more insight once you get into the retail stores, how that happens. So maybe a year from now or something, you'll come back on the show and we'll have a, a different milestone to talk about. That would be great. We will do that for sure. Look forward to it. <laughs> And that concludes today's episode. Thanks for listening. I put all the links that we've covered on the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com slash episode five. Recently, I had a chance to listen to the Curious Minds podcast. It's well produced and mixes an interview style with great background music and an audio set to the content. It reminds me of This American Life if you've ever heard that on NPR. It mixes history, storytelling, and science and explains technical concepts in simple terms so it's appropriate for listeners of all ages. The last episode I listened to was on marine navigation, 
Longitude and Latitude. Another topic seems dry, but poor maps led to the loss of 1,500 sailors and four battleships nearly 300 years ago. It took a carpenter to solve the problem, and we still use this system, like GPS coordinates are based on this, so it's cool to see such an old idea being relevant today. It's one of those podcasts that you can be entertained and learn something at the same time. You can find out more at cmpod.net or Curious Minds Podcast on iTunes. So if you like this episode and you want to see more like it, or if you want to see something different, please leave me a review on iTunes by going to theproductstartup.com slash review. I really appreciate your support. I read all the comments and questions, and I try to incorporate them into future episodes. Reviews also help me get guests on the show. See you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast with your host, Philip Valitza. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theproductstartup.com. Your guide to getting there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.